Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for uh, the truth that you give to us in the creeds, that you continue to uh, operate upon us with. Today we have some... Thunder your spirit upon us, Lord God. We ask that you would uh, bless us as we, as we talk about some wonderful, deep, but hard to handle and hard to understand truths. We ask that you would bless us with your spirit and be our great teacher, and we will be sure to give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, nice to see a good crowd on this uh, very balmy morning. Uh, last week, we, uh, we said, we talked about, I believe in God. So this is week three, We've, we're talking about the creed, the Nicene Creed. And we looked at the, uh, the, the Nicene Creed in, this, in the, uh, the first article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Every religion can say that, in some form or fashion. I believe in God. Um, just about every religion. Some can even say they believe in the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, they may not mean exactly what we mean when they say it, especially the Father part, the intimacy uh, there. But when we get to the second article, when we get to I believe in Jesus Christ, we get to what is distinctive about Christianity that no other religion uh, can say. Um, So what... Let me ask just a review question. What does the creed mean when we confess we believe? What, what, is, what is the... Our minds cannot be changed. Our minds cannot be changed. So we are committed. That's good. Yes. What else? Is it the, the whole church body believes this is what we... Yeah, we believe. This, this is our... We're saying that this, this is the contents of, at, the, at the very least... I mean, there's other things we believe, but, but we're unified in this, right? That this, is, this is the foundation of orthodoxy, right? That's good. What else? We assent, right? We, we believe that God exists. We believe in the factual nature of it. Uh, but we are also committed to it spiritually. Uh, we believe in it, not just believe on it in, in, in that sense. We, we believe... Uh, we are, we're given to it, like, I always use the example, like a, a rock climber believe, believes in the rope that they're hanging from. Um, I, I, and, and I submit to it, I obey, right? Uh, I'm not out of fear, but out of love. So all this is bound up in, in what we say, what we mean, what the creed means when we say we believe. And so today's section really is the, the reason for the meeting of the Council of Nicaea. Council of Nicaea met in 325, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, at the invitation of Emperor Constantine, because there was a major controversy about the nature of Jesus. What, who, in fact, was he? What, in fact, was he? And, of course, if you remember Arius, the, uh, the sort of famous and, I'm sure, very charismatic, very smart a presbyter or priest uh, in Alexandria, Egypt, said he, is, he was the first of creation. 
In fact, Colossians says he is the firstborn of all creation. Well, that's you got to take that into account, right? Um, and and his bishop Alexander uh, and turns out everybody else just about said uh, no. Well, not everybody else, but a lot of the bishops anyway said no. He was not created. And Jesus was before all. Worlds, in, in, in a sense. So we'll, we'll talk more about what that means. So what is the nature of Jesus Christ? This is the central and driving question of the Council of Nicaea, and really of the Creed, what makes us distinct as, uh, as Christians. So we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm meant to bring over the board. Let me see. Do I have a... Oh, I will. And smile. Sorry, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you have a bed. Uh, I did. It's not very dark, so she's going to give you one that you can actually read. How are you? Okay, how are you doing today? Okay. All right, so what do we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord? What do we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord? He's God. What did you say? Say it again. He's God. Okay, we, yep. He's over everything. He's over everything. What else? He governs. Yeah, okay. He's in charge, right? That's, that's, he's the one who's in charge. So, have you noticed that the word Lord in your Bible is written differently, different ways? You know what I'm talking about? Capital L. Capital L. Well, they actually, most of them have, well, not always. There's a small L, which means, like, kind of master, you know. Uh, there's a capital L, which means... Like, um, it means you know, like really master. Like maybe like uh, you know, sort of like there's a title to 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 this lordship, not just uh, sort of vaguely. But then there's also this. There's Lord, and then there's. Lord. So there's lowercase, and there's all uppercase, even though they're smaller. The Psalms have this a lot. Not always. When it says, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord. Um, can y'all see that in there? It was actually backwards on, uh, on Zoom. But So, the word Lord occurs... 7,173 times in the Old Testament. 6,520 of those translate the word Jehovah or Yahweh, which is Have you seen that? Yes. Yahweh. So, 
Who can tell me why it's written like this rather than sort of spelled out like you would like? Because you cannot say it. You can't say it. It, The name of God was considered so sacred that you could not utter it. You couldn't write it either. You couldn't write it either. And so they didn't write with vowels, so we actually don't know how it's pronounced. So this could be Yahweh or it could be Yehovah. So that's how we get, and that's you know, that's a sort of Southern American uh, anglicized version of, uh, of the Hebrew. But we actually don't know. It's almost certainly not either one of those. But they don't. We don't know how it would have been pronounced. But when God, uh, when Moses says, "Who shall I say uh, sent me?" and He says, "I am that I am," uh, the, he's, he's saying the sacred name of God is uh, is Yahweh. It's, uh, it's this. It's called the uh, te- tetragrammaton, which is a fancy Greek word. Uh, it wouldn't have been fancy to them, but it's fancy to us. It just means four letters. So, um, so they, they don't say it. And so, when they, in fact, when they were reading it, uh, it would come to this tetragrammaton in Scripture. Many of them would say Adonai, which is this in Hebrew, Adonai. You've heard, like, you know... Um, What's that? The whole prayer at, at uh, Sabbath. The prayer at Sabbath, yeah, or the, uh, the Amy Grant song, uh, you know, El Eliana Adonai, um, H to H, all that. So, um, so, we, so we've got Adonai, which means Lord, we've got, but this, is, this, is, this translates this. The capital letters translates the unspoken word. And so... Um, and so there are other words, so 6,520 of them in the Old Testament are, are the, uh, translated the Tetragrammaton, which we just read as Lord. But His name is, is so even, we're, like, we're actually not able to say it because we can't get to it. We call Him God, as if that's His name. That's really what He is, isn't it? And I don't think He minds. Um, but when we say the Lord God, or thus saith the Lord, or, the, or bless the Lord, O my soul, or praise the Lord, it's almost always the Tetragrammaton. Um, and so, but like when Sarah, Sarai, calls uh, Abraham her Lord, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously the, uh, the, the former. The principal word is the sacred name of God, and, um, and, and I just want for us to cons- pause for a minute to consider the degree of reverence. It says that his name is in fact so sacred that we can't say it. And I have to tell you, I don't have or encounter that degree of reverence. And I feel like maybe I ought to when I get into the grammar a little bit more. Now, I, I, I do see how, you know, in Hebrews it says we approach the throne of grace with confidence. And I think there is a, an intimacy that we are given through Jesus uh, with God, the Father, uh, in, in, that, is, um, that is unique. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. But I think there's some, when, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, um, it, is, it is a holy awe. It is a reverence that says, I know that you are so holy that I cannot even put your name on my lips. 
I mean, think about Isaiah when he gets called. Isaiah chapter 6. What does he say when he stands in the presence of God? I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I cannot speak your name, O God. And I think when we are reading the Old Testament, it is important to pay attention to the capitalization, or not, of the word Lord. But when the Scriptures... So the Old Testament is written primarily in Hebrew. When they used the Greek to translate uh, into Greek, or they used uh, the Greek to quote the Old Testament in the New Testament, they would use the word Kyrie, the Greek word Kyrie, which is their word for Lord. Which, when we get translate that into English, we just we don't capitalize it. But um, so you've heard, like you know, the, we talk about the Kyrie. Uh, or the Kyrie eleison, which means Lord have mercy, right? That's, that's that prayer in, in the liturgy, the Kyrie. Um, and, um, and so when we translate that as Lord, it's, it's, um, it's, and we translate Kyrie as Lord, it's paired with the name of Jesus. It is the intent of the authors to call Jesus Lord. Not, not Lord. That was the intent. And so um, it just didn't come to us in translation that way. So the earliest confession was Jesus is Lord. Before there was a creed, the confession was Jesus is Lord. But what was meant was in fact Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is truly God. Um, he is uh, is beyond simply that he's worthy of our submission or worthy of our allegiance, which of course he is. But it's in fact Jesus is the name above all names. Uh, when we hear uh, in Philippians chapter 2, that's actually, Paul is quoting a hymn, and, uh, and you've probably remember this, uh, and I'll actually, I'll go to read it. Philippians chapter 2, it's this beautiful hymn that says um, that we should adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and instead he emptied himself by assuming the nature of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. You've heard, heard this passage, right? And it's a great description of Jesus, but it says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 45. We've just heard that Jesus, the intent of God the Father is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Isaiah 45. The word of the Lord, L-O-R, capital, all capital. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. But myself, by myself I have sworn. Truth has gone from my mouth. A word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me, righteousness and strength are found only in the Lord. So when the New Testament authors are pairing the title Lord with the name of Jesus, they are saying that He is God. That is the intent of that. And we should read the New Testament in that way. So, um, 
Only in the Lord shall it be said of me that there's righteousness and strength. God is Father. That's the pairing for, for God, for the first person of Trinity in the, New, in the New Testament. God is Father and Jesus is Lord. God is Father. By calling Him Father, we preserve the unspoken name. We know who we're talking about, but we don't say His name. And so that's a, that's, that's a, that's a detail that, frankly, I'm sort of new to. Uh, I don't remember getting into that part of that in, in seminary or any other t- time of, of that, but that's what the intent is. And it, so when we're speaking this, when we're saying, I believe in God the Father, we're repeating the New Testament pattern, comparing those two words and saying we know exactly who we're talking about, the first person of the Trinity, and Jesus is Lord means He is, in fact, uh, just as God as, just as much God as God. So, that's, uh, we believe in one Lord. We believe in one Lord, Jesus. The Greek name for Jesus is Jesus. That's how we get Jesus. That's the name Jesus. That's, they didn't call, I mean, like when they called him in, in Hebrew, when they, or Aramaic, what was his name? Do you know? Yeshua. Yeshua. And so it's that, that just, Jesus in Greek just translates Yeshua. So if somebody's name's Josh, in, uh, in Greece, his name is Jesus, right? Josh, your name is Jesus. That's great. Yeah. Like, I know. And what, Josh, what does Joshua mean? Ah, that's the only thing I've ever asked you that you didn't know. Um, uh, the name Joshua means our God saves or the Lord saves. The Lord saves. So the Old Testament Joshua, remember him? So Moses, the story of Moses really ends with Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch, the first five books, and Joshua takes over for Moses. Moses is not allowed to bring his people. Moses was the giver of the law, and he was not allowed to bring his people into the promised land, not because he was the giver of the law, but because, in fact, he... um, uh, he didn't trust God on one little tiny occasion. And Joshua takes the people and leads them into the promised land after the death of Moses. And so we have a new Joshua who leads us out of our wandering and into our home, out of sin and, right, uh, sin and into righteousness, into the promised land of assurance of salvation. We believe in one Lord who is Jesus, our, the, our Lord saves, and He is Christ. One Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the cr- Greek word Christos means anointed one. And it translates the Hebrew word Messiah, or whatever the Hebrew, that's the anglicized Messiah, or something like that. Um, I don't really know Hebrew. But they both mean anointed one. Like if you were to take oil and anoint someone, that would be the same, it's the same root word. And so the word Christ means the anointed one. So Jesus is his name. That was the name his parents gave him because that's what the angel said to name him. But Christ is not his last name. It's his title. Now when we say we walk with Christ, we could just as well say we walk with the Christ. Uh, but it's not Mr. Christ. You know, like that's not his last name. Um, so, so the Lord... Uh, uh, the God who saves, or the Lord who saves, is set apart. He's anointed. He is, in fact, coronated. In the Hebrew culture, they didn't give crowns. They anointed with oil. Like if you look at Samuel, the way Samuel chooses David, 
He doesn't put a crown on his head. He puts oil on his head. And so we see then that we believe, we're trusting, we're committing ourselves to one Lord who is God, Jesus Christ, the God who saves, who is the anointed one to do so. And he is, in fact, the only Son of God. Did we pass these uh, handouts out? Yes. You did. So you got them in front of you. Okay, good. In fact, can I have one? I don't want to get out of place. For you ladies at home, we're just looking at the Nicene Creed, so you can pull it up in your uh, Book of Common Prayer. So he is the only Son of God. What, how might, what might be a, an easy way to articulate a misunderstanding that he is the Son of God? That he, the God maybe the, who's the daughter of God? Okay, there, that's good. They went out in the backyard to play catch. He's God Jr., right? God Jr., he's the son. And he came after the father, because we've never seen a father who was the same as the son, right? We've only seen sons who came after the father. And so when we are told that he is, in fact, the son of God, it seems for all the world, if that's the right phrase, uh, that he is... He would come after God. You can understand Arius wasn't just hard-headed. He was thoughtful. He was wrong, but he was very thoughtful. And so, um, actually, you might see that he is the only begotten Son of God. Only begotten is one word in Greek, and it indicates that Jesus is the only natural Son of God. it, It refers to His nature. In other words, He has God has many adopted sons and daughters, right? He has adopted all of us by faith. But there's only one son who is his son by nature, and that is Jesus. In other words, it is Jesus who is, it's only Jesus whose nature is in fact to be the son of God. You and I are made sons and daughters by grace, and because we are in Christ. So, they want to try to put a fine point on this, the Council of Nicaea. Because they want to make every exclamation. Jesus, you know, the, the, the refrain of the Arians, there was a time when He was not. And they want to make sure the Council of Nicaea wants to make sure that we understand that there was never a time where he was not. But it's hard when the language of the Bible says that he was the Son of God. In fact, says he was the firstborn of all creation. So they say that he is eternally begotten of the Father. And in fact, you may see another translation that is actually a more accurate word for word uh, that says, Begotten of the Father before all worlds. You heard this? Now, eternally begotten is, is more understandable to our ears. It's not wrong at all. But uh, because when we say before all worlds, we think, or at least I think, of like Jupiter and Saturn. You know, like they, I think of like planets whizzing around the solar system. Before all that happened, uh, he was begotten. And that is true, except the old world, old world English word is uh, for world is um, 
it means age. And so when we say world without end, what we mean is ages, an age without end, an eternity. And, um, and so that's just a pre- preserved word. And so it's actually good to update the translations because our word, the way we use the words change. And so he is uh, eternally begotten of the Son. Father means he was begotten, not made. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But, but not in time. And very quickly we get to a, a concept that is beyond our capacity to understand or articulate within our human language. And so we have to understand that that's what we're dealing with when we do our best to get our heads and our hearts around it. But he says, uh, the creed says, just to try to, he's eternally begotten. He's not begotten at a, at a point. He was, there was never a point where he wasn't begotten. Because he is outside of the scope of time. But he is begotten. And in fact, so he originates with the Father. But he doesn't originate at a point in time where there was ever a time where he hadn't already originated. Clear as day, right? He is God from God. So I was getting ready for this class and I was in, in church on Sunday morning and I, in a way that's never really leapt out. I mean, I would say, I would say God, God from God. And, and I think the two words that jump out there are God and God, right? Um, he is God. I have no problem with that. What I've never really stopped to sit on for a minute is from. That there is, in fact, that Jesus is just as God as God, and yet He is from God. Um, he is just as light as God, but He is from that light. Uh, in, a, in the sense that the light of the sun, the sun can't create can't, the sun can't be the sun without creating light. There's never a time where the sun doesn't have light. But the light comes from the sun. Um, in the same way, uh, Jesus, there's never a time where uh, the Father doesn't have the sun, but the, f- the sun comes from the Father. Um, so He's God from God. He's light from light. And He's true God from true God, or we might say very God from very God. And that is just another translation thing because uh, they're both from the Latin, veritas, when you see in the old King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, and now we say, now we translate it, truly, truly, I say to you, it's the same word. So very God means true God. And, um, and so I want to read Colossians chapter 1, which is the, is the one where it says he's the firstborn of all creation, but it has such a wonderful, wonderful high Christology. So he's talking about Jesus um, to the Colossians, this is St. Paul, and he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. Oh, no, sorry, this is God the Father. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, the Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And now he begins his Christology where he articulates the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is the visible thing that we can see and touch, it wouldn't be nice to be able to do that now, um, he, but he, we were able to see Him and touch Him to know exactly what God, the invisible God, is like. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether it was thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So He is the agent of creation and He is the recipient of creation. He is the the recipient of all the glory of all that there is. He is before all things. And by Him all things hold together. I have often clung to that second part of that verse, that by Him all things hold together, when I am uh, doing something that surely is going to break apart, um, like running a church. Um, that <laughs> by Him all things hold together, not by me. I've taken a lot of comfort in that. But He is before all things. He's before all things. So how can He be before all things if He's the firstborn of all creation? Because with God, nothing's an impossible. <laughs> and he was the agent of And not even God can create God. Cloning. <laughs> Cloning. Laura said it's the inability of the human language to be able to express it appropriately. And I think I I think I think we're there. I think I think that's right. How I deal with the thought about God more like water. Water is always water, but sometimes it's ice. Yes. And so it was always there, just it changed forms a little bit for a while. Uh, yes, that I believe is known as the heresy of modalism. Um, it's, uh, the um, no, no, she's 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 not alone. Um, the uh, because the thing is, is that you cannot have, uh, you cannot simultaneously have uh, water and steam, and ice. They can't be this. They can't be distinct at the same time under the same condition. And so, uh, what's that? Yeah. Well, uh, you can uh, you can Google. Oh shoot! I'll have to think of it. It's Lutheran Lutheran satire, um, and and it'll come up. Google Lutheran satire. And we, I have, I'm planning on showing this in the last, uh, this video, um, and it is, um, gosh, I'll, I'll find it for you at the end of class. It is fabulous, and it is ridiculous, and it talks about uh, the heresies perfectly. But it talks about this uh, um, water and steam uh, as modalism. It also talks about, um, uh, like, God is an apple, like there's a... Um, there's a, there's a peel, and there's a, the meat of the apple, and there's a core. Nope, that doesn't work. Uh, I'm a father, and I'm a son, and I'm a, a priest. I'm a, all these different things. Nope, that doesn't work either. And it kind of explains all why in a really uh, ridiculous and funny way. Excuse but, me, I was just going to yes. And the reason I think it makes sense, and it's not meant literally to be the first part of our creation that get into here and heresy, is the idea, remember how we were talking about vacuum? <laughs> like, remember vacuum? If you say it, there's not a vacuum. Okay. Remember? Yes, and I do remember that conversation. <laughs> I thought you were talking about my Dyson, but go ahead. Yes. You're talking about the, uh, the if you say there's a vacuum, there's not a vacuum because, yeah. So, out of, you know, there was nothingness, and then there wasn't nothingness. So, to get to when there's no more nothingness, once you have no more nothingness, you've got something, you've got creation. We're not here but for that event of the creation. So therefore, to me, the concept of, of and that's when we're in the position to realize God and, and all that is because if there were no creation, we wouldn't be able to stop. 
So the point is, is that if Jesus was always from God and God was always from there and always together, then of course he would be the firstborn of our creation because for us it is creation. He's, he is God to us and God is the firstborn of all creation because that's how we got here. And that's how to me it made sense because it is either there's being and nothingness. And once you have being, then it is the firstborn of all creation. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that I garbled the way of describing it, but I think it comes with the concept of I hate to sound Sartrean, but being and nothingness. You know, once you have something, then all things from that. Yes. So, I think what we're trying to say with the word begotten is that He is uncreated. So, if He is born, He is proceeding from the Father, just as we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. He's proceeding out of the mind and the will of the Father, but there's never a time where that wasn't the case. Um, and so, that's, that's what we're trying to get at with the, in, in the creed. So, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead. So that's, you have the same word. Um, he rose from the dead. He's the, he's the first. He's, pri he's speaking of His primacy. Um, so that He might uh, come to have first place in everything. So, in Him all the fullness of God dwells. There, this all, it's very difficult for me to articulate, obviously, um, but to all this to say that he does not belong in the category of creature, at least not until the incarnation, because he is begotten. He is not made. And that's the sort of key phrase there. Uh, he is of one being, one substance with the Father. That is hard to understand because we think of substance as substantial. But God isn't anything because He's not made of anything because He's not made. And so uh, He is entirely spirit. And, um, and so, but He is, Jesus is just, He's of one nature with God in that He always was. And so He does originate from God. He is God from God just as much as God, as, just as much God as the Father. Um, but He is the Creator, not the creature. Um, and so that's really, I mean, that feels like, I feel like you're looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And that may be true. And the truth is, I'm not really sure, because uh, I can't really articulate it. None of us really can. It's been tried and tried and tried for many uh, uh, millennia, but, um, but not really done particularly well. I'm sure I'm the best, but um, yeah. <laughs> is that where the Arianism came in? They couldn't separate so Arianism came because it was trying to say, well, if he was... Nobody was saying that he was not born until the Incarnation. That they were saying that he was the firstborn. He was, the, he was created. The, God was. He created the Son. And then, from the Son, he created all things. And the Orthodox, that's Arianism. That Jesus was created. So he is, in fact, God Jr. And, uh, and what... Orthodoxy says is that no, he was, there was never a time where he was created. He was begotten because he's out of the will of the Father, but he was 
that is um, that is beyond the scope of time or space. There was never a time when he was not. He is just as eternal. That's why we say he's eternally begotten. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. But you can understand where Arius yeah. got his yeah. got his where he went off the tracks and got his ideas. I feel like there's a few people who hadn't been here yet, and this is maybe not the best one for you to come to the first first time. Um, so I'm sorry if it's not clear. I just I, I didn't really expect to stumble like this, but it is just such a hard thing to uh, to grasp. Um, the I, I may have mentioned in the very first one that this um, phrase "one being with the Father." Uh, it translates the, a Greek word homoousios. Homo means the same. Ousios means being. The same being as the Father. And, um, and so that actually spawned a lot of controversy because it, people took that to mean that, that Jesus and the Father are the same. They're, they're steam and ice. And so we had to try to uh, fix that uh, through, the, through the years. Uh, and, and we... We'll see how in the creed how as it developed it, it came to, came to be corrected, but um, but it is these are complicated issues, and uh, and yet what we uh, what we stake our whole being on is a God that we can't truly comprehend. How can He be three and one at the same time? He is not three distinct. Be- he is three distinct persons, but He's not three distinct beings. They are of one being uh, with one another. They all exist to give glory. Um, to each other. So there's this... So you have God, the Father, that's what F is, Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But they're all God. There's one God in three persons. And so this is sort of an ancient uh, way to articulate the Trinity. Um, any questions? <laughs> Alicia? Do we th- do I think we try to make God too small when we try to make him understandable? I would my first reaction to that question is yes and no. Because if we get to a place where we can really understand God, then um, then we probably is too small. But if we get to a place where we don't want to try, then we probably have lost a lack of enthusiasm for intimacy with him. So I think it is a good thing to try to articulate his nature, his being, and to pursue an intimate relationship with God uh, through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And yet it is, um, I think we do so understanding that we're never going to get there in terms of fully understanding the math of how three can be one and one can be three and how God, something can be created or it could be begotten but not made. We just accept it. If we believe. Right. Well, you know, like in, in Greek mythologies, let me say too, there were there were lots of gods who were created from other gods. They but because the gods, a male god and a female god, got together and had a baby god. Um, 
There is no mother God. Uh, in, now, of course, God defies gender, human gender as we understand it, but he is father to the son. That's how he has articulated himself and revealed himself to us. The, um, in the, the Council of Toledo in the 600s, they said that Jesus came from the womb of the father, which is a, a kind of a, a way to say, again, out of the mind of, of God the father, but to kind of articulate even then that, he def- that God the Father defies the, the gender box that we, that we know how to put him in. So yes, it's very hard for us to understand in a f- full and complete way the nature of God. Which is, if you could, would you want a God that you could get all the way there? I don't know. I hope not. Very God for very God. Yes. Was that... Why, why is that? I mean, like, What's the where does God, that come? God, why add an extra layer? Of very exactly, God, yeah. God. Is it because, was it because of the fact that, you know, the multi-God world of, say, the Greeks with the different sorts of gods, and there were levels of gods, you know, there were Zeus, and then there were the minor gods. I mean, I've always wondered, yeah, it's why the layer, why did you layer that on? Yes, so I think God from God is the na- God by nature, and uh, true God from true God is... Uh, saying he's he is just as much the one true God as as the Father, and so there's by nature God and by sort of authority God as well. I think that's what it is. That's the way I understand it. And light from light, why why talk about that? Because just as the Father illumines the world with His wisdom, with His creation, that so does so does the Son. So all of it is uh, trying to put a come at from different angles that he is begotten but not made. That he is actually God and distinct from God the Father. You said by nature God and by what? He is by nature, what did I say? He is by nature God uh, and uh, he is has the authority of God. He is the one true God. Just as much the one true God as the Father. Because they are one, although they are distinct. Why do people have problems with this? I don't understand. <laughs> Other comments or questions or things that need a clearer, finer point, an attempt? Yes, Dorsey? It's about as clear as mud. Yeah, well, I, and I, it kind of gets back to Alicia's question. Do we make him too small by trying to... And I don't know. I mean, it's. Cl- I think what we can grasp, at the very least, is that your rector can't do it. But I think that. Um, but I, th- I think we can get to the point where that God is beyond our knowing. Jesus is beyond our knowing, and how gracious that the God who is beyond our new- knowing made Himself knowable in the person. That's what we get to next week with incarnation, creation, and then incarnation. But He makes Himself knowable. Uh, and much more manageable to our little pea minds. Yes, if Joshua. We, if we could clearly map it all out and understand it, put A, B, C, D nicely in order, and 1 plus 2 equals 3, and it all worked out perfectly easy, would there, would there be a need for faith or even room for faith? Would there be a need? That's a very good point. If we could map it out clearly, would there be any room for faith? And probably not. I, it doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. And exploring, 
But you can see how easy it is, like Eric, somebody as smart and charismatic as Arius, who could get off the rails because our brains are small. It's, it's like you, when you talk about parables a while back, you, the, you, you may never, no, no two people always would come at the same way, but the, the point of the parable is, you know, maybe not the point of the parable, part of the, the reason for the parable is the exploration and the digging in and finding all the different people. You know, yeah. The simulation that gives you a thinking about that. Sure. Point. Sure. Last one, Mo's parting shot. So there's no real correct answer. So if we were all to take an exam on describing three and one, we'd all get an A because we all have our own opinion. So why don't Well, I mean, if you say that Jesus is begotten, not made, then you get an A. plus. If you start trying to say, here's what that means. Well, tell that to Arius. You know, so, I mean, it's, I, what I'm trying to say, again, we are, we are trying to understand the nature of God, but what, which is best to say that Jesus is God, uh, not, not the man, but the second person of the Trinity. I mean, but the, but the man is God. He never stopped being God, so that's easy to understand. So, um, Jesus is fully God, and next week we'll see that he is fully man. But he is true God of true God. And, um, and so, begotten, not made. Go to church. <laughs>